Did you know one in five Americans live with a mental health problem? <laughs> that means unless you live in a cave, you know someone personally dealing with these issues. So join us and our special guests as we answer your questions, share real stories, and work to pull the curtain back on how stigma impacts our everyday lives and our communities. We believe that making a real impact happens best with candid conversations, laughter, and tears. We are your hosts, Jennifer Ritter and Josh Moore, and this is Impact Stigma. Good morning, evening, or afternoon. I have no idea, Josh. <laughs> Good morning, Josh. Why do we have any idea? Oh, gosh, I'm tired. Tired? <laughs> yes. Mm, Father's Day. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I just celebrated my one-year wedding anniversary, so we've just had the busiest weekend. That's crazy. I'm still not recovered. Full year already. I feel like I've had a whole month and a weekend. <laughs> did you? What did you do for um, for Father's Day? So I made this extravagant brunch, mm-hmm. um, and I am not Chef Boyardee at all, so right. I can cook a handful of things. PB and J. No, I am a master breakfast maker. Like for whatever reason, I can slam some breakfast. Like uh-huh. everybody in the house is like, "Mom, are you going to make your blah 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 thing for breakfast?" And I'm like, "So they yeah. don't come to you for tortellini no, or any of that?" No. Like, Greg cooks all the food. He's mm-hmm. the cooking of all the things, and he's an incredible cook. And I'm like, okay, I can make pot roast, stuffed chicken, really amazing bacon, and all the things breakfast. So and you, you can make all the stuff. It just sits there. <laughs> I guess. And um, so I made this breakfast casserole that I've never made before. It was like hash brown, egg, and my daughter's a vegetarian, so I had to make sure it was, it was vegetarian. We had all the meats, but I had to have something there that she could eat. So I made that. He scared the crap out of me. So Greg stood behind me, like, on our little, we had this little bar thing, and he stood behind me, and had these big roses and all this stuff for our anniversary. And I was just got, you know, Taylor Swift in my ears, singing with my apron on, cooking breakfast. And he just stood there and looked at me like a weird statue. And so I was just cooking away, and I turned around and, like, screamed bloody murder. Oh, wow. Couldn't hear him. Didn't know he was there. So, yeah. That was great. He appreciated that. He was like, I got you, and happy anniversary. Yeah. So, yeah. Very cool. Went to Dollywood this weekend. I love Dollywood, so tell me all about it. It was good. They had the fireworks and the drone show and all that stuff. I saw your video with the little person and the balloon. Yeah, that was a... The lights. The drone show was pretty crazy. Animated really heavy. My favorite thing was the bubble show. Oh, wow. Okay. They called it a gazillion bubbles. I need to go. It was crazy. The entire, they had a 1600 seat auditorium and there was bubbles everywhere you went. I mean, it was like you were walking through a bubble. (laughs) It was just crazy. Oh, we need to take the kids. That would be so great. Little little kids everywhere were jumping and screaming and they were having a blast. I'll tell Greg. We'll definitely go. We have passes, so we'll have to go for sure. Yeah. Yep. So what do you think of the new digs? We got a new podcast studio. I know. So you guys, Josh abandoned me. I did. I left her for good. <laughs> Hit the road. Our, our offices used to be right next to each other. And then there was a larger office that came open. And at first I was mad. But now I'm like, you know what? This is great. So I don't have to slinky sneak into my chair in our in our podcast room anymore and almost die and embarrass myself. Yeah, we got room. You I can, can walk just, around the table now. I know. I can just sit right down. It's great. So, yeah. yeah. It's very eclectic, too. Um, What were you going for? Tiny desk? I like the tiny desk, how they look. Yeah. And mine is going to be, like, way more cluttered than theirs. So, for those of you that don't know what he's talking about, what is tiny desk, Josh? Tiny desk is NPR, and they do these little tiny desk concerts. Yeah. And they do them in an office setting, but their office is really cluttered with stuff everywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, so you know what? So, if you can what? get a visual, everybody, Josh's stuff everywhere. He's got a, it's kind of rad, so I really like it. I mine's like it. got a little bit of everything you got. Photo stuff because I'm yeah. a photographer. Then you got you know all my little things I like and yeah books because I'm a graphic designer too. Yeah, yeah. So he's got all the things. I've decided I'm gonna find things that I like to put in here since I have to come in here and do a podcast with you. So I'll have some of my that. stuff. I don't know about that. I'm invading your space. You have plenty no. of room. Yes, I am. All the no. <laughs> we might hide your name somewhere. Oh my goodness. Okay. That well, might be about it. I'll get something. I'll, I'll win it over. It's okay. Yeah. I'll just tell Jody she has to tell you that you have to, and then everything will be fine. No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> She'll be like, it's less stuff in our house. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, please let him just take it to the office for yeah. heaven's sakes. All right. Well, hello to everybody and all of our dedicated listeners, and welcome back to Season 3 of Impact Stigma. Our special guest today um, actually works for the city of Johnson City, Tennessee, and is the supervisor of the Langston Center. 
It's a facility that promotes multicultural awareness. It's a really phenomenal little center. I had no idea it was there, so I got to visit, and I'll tell you all about that in a minute. But the Langston Center actually sits on the site of the former Langston High School of Johnson City, Tennessee's Black High School from 1893 to 1965. So this particular guest is also an adjunct instructor of political science at ETSU, And for 16 years, he has taught the course Black American Political Thought, which examines black political ideology and the role of race in American political development. He also currently serves as vice mayor for the town of Jonesboro, Tennessee, and holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in political science from Carson Newman University. He um, obtained his Master of Public Administration degree from ETSU. So everybody, we are delighted to welcome Adam Dixon to Impact Stigma. Thank you. Thank you for having me this morning. Oh my gosh, we're so excited. Oh, I didn't know you were a Carson Newman alum. Yeah, yeah. I surprised you. Go Eagles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really enjoyed my time at Carson Newman. Oh yeah. Thoroughly enjoyed my time. Had some really good memories, made some uh, great friends, great experience. Still keep up with uh, a lot of uh, friends and professors today. Yeah. It's a wonderful campus. My mom and dad uh, graduated from Carson Newman both. Uh, Well, I think my dad graduated and mom went back later she decided to get married to his silly butt and have me so yeah you know. um but my daughter is uh is currently at carson newman and is graduating this december so she's trying to you know her mind's kind of boggled at figuring out what she wants to do with her life next so yeah. she's just kind of yeah. figuring that out very um positive time for me bonner scholarship allowed me to go to carson newman Mm-hmm. And um, that's awesome. Just a really, really positive experience to not only serve, but to uh, blend a love for service and your faith, and mm-hmm. to grow and expand and evolve. It was a, it was a great experience. Carson yeah. Newman is a great university. I yeah. loved everything about Carson Newman except for that organ. <laughs> <laughs> See, I got nothing on this. I have no idea. I'm, yeah. I'm over here. I'm the ETSU lady, so yeah. you know. Yeah, <laughs> we had, we, you, you have to have so many chapel credits a semester. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And I always like doing the community ones through football. <laughs> so we would do like food banks and carry yes, sir. and stuff like that. I'd rather do that than go sit in there and listen to this one organ <laughs> for an hour. I can only they used to have, When I was there, they had a service and it was just a guy that played an organ for an hour. Oh, man. And I was like, I can't do this. Was that <laughs> was it supposed to torture you guys or something? I don't know. I just I couldn't do it. So I was always into the community service part. Uh, community life and worship. I remember CLW. Yeah. Credits. Yeah. 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 Bella did yeah. those. She got hers in yeah. for sure. So, for, yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah. Well, there's always one thing we do to, yes. you know, to let our audience know who you are a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So we got some fun questions for you. Okay. Josh's are always a surprise. Yeah, I come up with them the day before. Okay. So (laughs) I always tell everybody what I'm going to say, but Josh is always like the, he's like the, he comes in from the side. So there you go. Okay. Let's see if I'm ready. So what type of hobbies do you have? Oh man. Gosh, Josh. Um, I don't. You don't Um, have any hobbies? I don't. So I guess uh, Impact Stigma is going to uh, uncover maybe Adam Dixon and Maybe his mental issues. So, uh, no, I feel like my life is a life of purpose. Uh And so um, a great deal of my time is um, involved in the work that I do. You know, in terms of like collecting things, like as I'm looking now in in your office and seeing all these little neat things, I'm glad that you do it, but I don't do it. Uh, (laughs) You know, traveling somewhere. Do you uh, like to whittle? (laughs) <laughs> I was just trying to think of something. Sorry. Well, it sounds like you know a lot of no. you could say no. for, the, for the record. I've never I've never been introduced to Jigsaw puzzles? you know wood uh, wood <laughs> knives. Um, no puzzles. Again, I love to hear people tell the story, but no, I've I've never gone to buy a box of you know a puzzle. And no. Oh my goodness! So I guess you could say his hobby's researching. So, uh, so I guess I do kind of quote unquote. I I wonk out on uh, you know uh, certain articles that uh, catch my attention. Yeah. You know, um, so, so I guess reading. If you, you like to read, that. there you go. So I guess that's we the figured hobby. it out, you guys. There you go. <laughs> Adam loves reading. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, reading. Uh, there you Josh, go. This is what I like to do. What is your favorite childhood memory? Favorite childhood memory. Favorite childhood memory would be um, on a given weekend, waking up, uh, lived in uh, Telford, New Victory mm-hmm. uh, community, Washington County, Tennessee. 
get up in the morning and uh, you were talking about food earlier. Get up in the morning and mama would be frying uh, bacon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be a cold morning, so a fall morning. Fried sweet potatoes. Have you ever had that before? Oh, I, I need to have good. that. That sounds really Fried good. Fried sweet potatoes, biscuits, eggs. A breakfast that uh, certainly clogs the arteries, not oh, yeah. uh, not exciting uh, by today's health standards. Oh, that's the only kind. But, yeah. <laughs> but that childhood memory, because uh, you wake up in the morning, it's a, uh, it's a little cold that morning, but yet still, um, of course, you got your blankets and everything, and so you feel warm, you smell the bacon, the house is good and warm, father is there, brothers and sisters are there, and um, peace mm. in the house. And a good breakfast, that, uh, that's that's a childhood memory for me. Good childhood memory for me. I love that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Breakfast yeah. food and doing the breakfast stuff has always been something well, at our house. My mm-hmm. dad makes this incredible breakfast casserole thing in the steel, whatever, iron, skillet, iron skillets tradition for Christmas. And we come over, it's like eight layers deep, and wow. it's like a quiche thing with hash browns. I don't know what all's in it, but it's so good. He makes it every year. We love it. And he makes... Red eye gravy and mm-hmm. like, you know, I mean, I don't know if y'all know what red eye gravy is, but it's made with coffee, which makes it, you know, amazing and all sorts of things. And his magic, I don't know, but I just know he does that and that salty ham and right, um, right, all kinds of biscuits and mm-hmm. you know he'll make tenderloin the night before and then we'll get up the next day and have tenderloin biscuits. It's crazy. Breakfast yeah. is so good for me. I love breakfast. Well, Christmas breakfast was a tradition in our family. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and that was my dad. He had been cooking most of his life, and uh, uh, my mother, both of them, had that background. And so uh, get up in, in the morning, Christmas morning, and they'd have a big breakfast, invite family and friends over. And so I do remember as a young boy having, uh, again, Christmas breakfast and opening the presents and different things. So, yeah, Christmas Absolutely. was a big time, yeah. good breakfast time. I like that memory. That's good. Yeah. So yeah. what is your favorite type of music and do you have a favorite artist that you like so um i have to admit that i have a secret enjoyment of jazz okay i was introduced to jazz at carson newman actually Mm -hmm. our uh, political science professor uh john wells who's now president of emory and henry okay university emory and henry college um, Dr. Wells liked jazz, and I used to go to his office, and we would talk after class, and I, you know, had all these great ambitions in political science and such, and um, and so I love going to talk to him after class, and one day we'd go in, and I think it was Miles Davis was nice. playing, and it just it just clicked with me, yeah. And so uh, over time, I would uh, I would get uh, deeper in what I'll call old school jazz, so mm-hmm. Sidney Bechet and. Um, Charlie Mingus and uh, folks along that line. But then I got introduced to vocal jazz and people like Sarah Vaughn, Ella Fitzgerald, mm. Carmen McRae. Nice. And I love jazz, uh, by yeah, the way. So yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Billy Eckstein. Those and it's a it's a time of uh, American life that I don't think you can ever replicate. Right. You know. No. Uh Sammy Davis Jr., uh Nat King Cole. Those folks just I mean, the the, the, the music is smooth and it's crisp and it's polished. It's just a to me. It's a very powerful, beautiful time in yeah. American life. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm a I'm a slow jazz, smooth jazz person. Like I can't do the crazy jazz that's all over the place. <laughs> that sounds like my head's gonna pop off. Yeah. I think it's great and it's beautiful and interesting. But it's like the fast, yeah. all over the place. I can't do that. But I like the smooth. I like the Louisiana style. Well, you know, uh-huh. that's like yes. get you in the street going. Yes, I can, I can do that. I can do yeah. that. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, the uh, like a jazz uh, jazz type festival, uh, New Orleans style. Yeah, 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 uh, Satchmo yeah. type uh, deal. I got you. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah. People like um, Thelonious Monk, and I kind of take the uh, you know the the improvisation. Yeah. So you know when 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 the, you you know that someone's feeling it, uh, and someone like Thelonious Monk, it's still kind of difficult for me to. And that's what I kind of like about it is that you, you're listening to Monk and, and I mean he's just it, it it's there's no rhyme or reason but yet it just it Sounds just like still it goes flows together yeah. yeah it just still comes together absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. I'm gonna throw you a curveball sure all right so if you could be any animal what would it be and yeah. why yeah yeah okay I was uh, thinking here um, sweet pickles 
I don't know if you all ever saw those books or not. Back they were started back in the seventies, but it was that a, sounds familiar. So it was a series of books, and it had characters like a responsible rabbit and uh, yakety yak. That's great. Just different characters that had like different emotions. Gotcha. So, gotcha. so the characters, uh, excuse me, the uh, they were animals that actually had a gender, and uh, they had emotions, and so like jealous jackal. Well, I liked Responsible Rabbit. Gotcha. That was that was that was mine. So I I liked Responsible Rabbit. Uh, also in line with this question, uh, what comes to my mind is an owl and an elephant. Oh, yes. And it's all it's all based on stories for me. So yeah. so uh, the old Winnie the Pooh mm-hmm. stories. Oh, Winnie the Pooh's the jam. Absolutely. So, so the the owl was wise, yes, right? Like and so everybody went to the owl for wisdom. So I thought I wanted to be an owl. And then, um, of course, the old Babar uh, mm-hmm. uh, stories. And, of course, uh, you know, the elephant kingdom and Babar was the elephant king. And, uh, of course, uh, the elephant is big. So don't don't attribute uh, that, that has no relationship <laughs> to me uh, in a way, form or fashion. But the elephant, from what I'm told, has a very strong memory. Yes. Elephant never forgets. The elephant is respected. Yes. In the kingdom. Yes, they are. So, you know, yeah. And their the, family style is very much like ours. Yeah, very true. Interesting. Very true. So. Very true. And an elephant can be very pleasant and kind, can show that love, but don't rile an elephant. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I kind of, uh, you know. I like don't, elephants. Yeah, I like elephants. Cool. So, yeah. As always, we strive for candid, open, and sometimes even humorous conversations here on Impact Stigma. So please remember, this podcast is never intended to be a substitute for professional advice, formal diagnosis, or treatment for mental and behavioral health issues. If you need further assistance or have questions, please visit the Frontier Health website at FrontierHealth.org for more information. If you or someone you love has an urgent mental health need, please call 877 928 9062 and our 24-7 Frontier Health Crisis Team will help. If you, your child, or someone you know is in danger of suicide, go to the nearest emergency room or call 911. We want to take a moment and thank Food City for sponsoring this episode of Impact Stigma, and we will be right back after this message. I'm here with a Food City All-Star Shopper after another stellar go-kart curbside pickup performance. Shelly, how do you do it? <laughs> well, Howard, it takes determination to ensure every customer gets groceries exactly the way they like it. Every cut of meat, every piece of produce is chosen with the customer in mind. That's what it takes to be a champion. There you have it. Order online from Food City and experience go-kart curbside pickup at the highest level. Hello, everyone. Like what you're hearing so far? Well, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button right now. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you, and we greatly appreciate your support. So let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back, and thank you again, Food City, for sponsoring us. And Mr. Dixon, would you mind sharing with our listeners about a little bit about yourself and your current role at the Langston Center? Well, there's... Not a lot of um, exciting, wonderful, uh, you know, uh, tremendous stuff to share about me. That's supposed to be a joke. You all yeah. aren't laughing. But uh, anyway. <laughs> I took you seriously. Yes, Look yes, at me over did. here like, what? Yes, you did. But you, you did. must have all the words for yeah. all the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You uh, And a lot of people do. They take me um, uh, very, very seriously. But glad to be here today. Glad to see both of you. Glad to g- glad to interact with you. Jonesboro resident, northeast Tennessee, mm-hmm. born and bred. Jonesboro is home. Love Jonesboro and everything about Tennessee's oldest town. And, uh, you know, I uh, I feel like that I've had a blessed experience thus far and mm-hmm. um, hoping uh, to do a few more great things before uh, my end. Had the opportunity to go to college, had the opportunity to run for office, had the opportunity to teach. I've had the opportunity to uh, to grow in a field that I find rewarding and try to Try to be a help to somebody, mm-hmm. and so that's uh, that's kind of uh, again me. But uh, this particular point in my life, I get to serve uh, at the Langston Center, and uh, we are a multicultural center, and we want to build community. Mm-hmm. We think that multicultural awareness is the way to do that, and we want to focus on arts, education, and leadership. So we uh, try to 
shape those three areas as best as we can. Well, you and I met in person, you know, though I'm going to say a bit ago, even though I think it was like last week. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, I was excited to have you here as a guest because I walked in and I didn't know what to expect. I don't know how many times I've driven by this building and just kind of looked at it like, what is that? It is so neat. Like, there's, it's just so interesting. And then I get to go and I was like, oh, this is awesome. So I walked in. It was such a sight to behold. And I love the history and the, everything behind it and what it go, what it stands for. So I definitely take some time if you guys out there can get, if you're local here in Johnson City, get down to the Langston Center, give them a call. I think you all have tours. We do. Yes, we so do. definitely try to go out there and, and learn and, and get involved. And if your kids need anything after school, I know, I think they're phenomenal. There's adult stuff, all kinds of things. But anyway, we'll get into that in a minute. Would you share with our listeners what Langston means to you and your feedback from the community so far? So uh, Langston means to me excellence in spite of. And so when we, we think about American life, laws were implemented to divide. Mm -hmm. Uh, Buildings were built as a result of those laws to divide. In spite of the law, in spite of the resentment, in spite of the attitudes that would prevail from 1896 to 1965, people still found a way to thrive. They still found a way to maneuver for many communities across the South, many communities across the country, actually. Uh, there, there are these anchor institutions that would define the black community. And the church and the school are two such institutions. The Langston Center is focused on this sense of excellence because, um, again, in this case, the school, the school wanted to be a place to encourage, uplift, empower and so even though society is saying one thing about you, uh, you could walk in into Langston High School and you could be told that you can do anything if you put your mind to it. Mm-hmm. And again, it's really, really important to think about the fact that you're told that you can be anything that uh, you put, put your mind to. You couldn't go to the school that was just literally three miles uh, from, from your high school. You couldn't go to that college. The law said you couldn't go there. And so the nearest college that you would have to go to would be in Knoxville, would be Knoxville College. And so, so again, society, through the law, placed some really high hurdles. But yet still, the building was a place that said you can be nurtured, you can be encouraged, this is, safe, this is a safe space this is a place where you can be anything that you choose to, to be. So, uh, so again, society said one thing, and society had a huge megaphone, but yet still the school was a place that was trying to shape and mold the minds as best as possible given the time. Mm-hmm. So to me, Langston is a place that's rooted in that sense of excellence in spite of, and uh, we want to encourage young people in today's time that there's really nothing new under the sun. There were hurdles then. There are hurdles today. There may be hurdles for as long as humanity exists, but uh, but you do have it within you to jump those hurdles and still be successful. So creating cultural awareness and understanding as well as like establishing open communication surrounding diversity within communities has shown to have just incredible benefits. We know that. For this conversation, we really wanted to talk about the importance of Juneteenth, which mm-hmm. has, you know, which was recently celebrated this past weekend on June 19th. So what is the importance of recognizing Juneteenth to you? So we know uh, Juneteenth is, uh, we're celebrating Juneteenth because of the end of slavery, right? right? We know that oh, probably the 1850s, Frederick Douglass, the great orator and abolitionist, he gave a speech one time, and he said, what is the 4th of July to the slave? And in that speech, which is uh, now very historical and, and recognized, he talks about the fact that what the United States celebrates in terms of Independence Day in the 4th of July is very difficult for the black slave to understand because the black slave was a slave and is considered in bondage. 
it's it's a weird conundrum because uh, the first person who will start the Boston Massacre, which will lead to the American Revolution, is a black man by the name of Crispus Attucks. I did not know that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And so you will see black people fight in the American Revolution. Matter of fact, the Battle of Kings Mountain, and I'm pointing towards North Carolina. I got my directions off, but I'm pointing. We'll go with but, it. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but the, but uh, the Battle of Kings Mountain, which is recognized as a shift in the American Revolution, black men fought in that war. If you think about every war that the United States has been involved in, black men have fought, and of course here recently, right. black women have been involved. So so there it's a weird again I use that word conundrum because black people have fought for the flag. But yet here on the soil have not always been able to realize the the fullness of freedom. So uh, Mr. Douglas gave that speech in the 1850s and and so there was this longing question, I guess, that kind of loomed over that period as to what is freedom? What does it really look like? And so, uh, so Juneteenth, I think, is the latest recognition of the fact that freedom, I guess Juneteenth is the latest recognition of the fact that freedom still needed to be recognized and embraced. And so, um, so to me, Juneteenth is a time to recognize, again, that period of freedom, but also in a 21st century context, who am I in the United States? Yeah. And I think that we need to... We need to recognize the uh, the fact that when we think about Black history, it is American history. It is, and so uh, so this can be a great time of education. It can also be a great time, I think, of empowerment. I think it can be a great time of community. It really blessed me, uh, Jennifer and Josh, to see here in our local community uh, festivals throughout the region. Oh, they're wonderful! Celebrating Juneteenth. Yeah, and they were interracial. That's awesome. I thought that was very powerful. So, so you know, people are wanting to learn. People are wanting to grow. People are wanting to evolve. And I think that's very positive. And it's getting more popular. It is. It is. And I think some of the misconceptions we're dealing with, because it's very easy to uh, to say, oh, that's just for them. And I don't want to be a part. Or, or will I be accepted? You know, I still have folks who come to me pull me off to the side, and they'll say, well, am I invited to the Langston Center? And the first time someone said that to me, it just, it really caught me off guard, and I kind of looked at him. I was like, yeah, you're invited. I yeah. mean, you know, you know, and uh, I, I had to catch myself because I kind of went off. <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, you're invited. I mean, you know, why would you think that you're not? And, yeah. uh, and Oh, the, I sat there talking to you, and yeah. I was like, it was like, children's camp or something and I was like I hope this doesn't come off wrong but I was like there are there are a lot of white people yeah. walking in the door I don't really understand yeah and then there's I mean then all of a sudden it was like it's very colorful here there's all kinds of color all kinds of tall shape everything I was like this is a beautiful thing well I think a lot of people so, don't know either like to be honest I didn't know about Juneteenth until two years ago when the yeah. pandemic started didn't agreed never, I didn't either I never even heard about it that's sad yeah yeah Never heard about it and didn't know anything about it. So over the last two years, we've heard about it and learned about it. But before that, I would you would have said that. I've been like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I think that's tragic that, I mean, think about it. Juneteenth has to be celebrated. You know, citizens that were once not allowed to even be citizens, much less person, mm -hmm. now they have all these rights. They have been liberated and they have freedom. They should be allowed to celebrate that. And it's not going to be something that I ever can relate to. That's okay. I don't have to. I just have to be there and say I'm willing to speak about it. I'm willing to listen. Right. I'm willing to ask questions, you know, and be really super open-minded and at least try to sit in the same space and get it. Yeah. I mean, that's all we have to really do, I think. That's not all we have to do. But that's a good start. How about that? <laughs> well, so bu building off that, did you know about Juneteenth growing up, and did you celebrate it with your family and, or in the community? So I did not know about Juneteenth. As we know it. Right. Okay. But the idea of um, recognizing freedom of slaves, I did know about, and we did celebrate. So now here in Appalachia, mm -hmm. there is August the 8th. Mm -hmm. Okay. So a lot of black folks here in this region celebrated August the 8th. 
Andrew Johnson, who, of course, was a um, senator and um, governor at one time, vice president under Andrew, uh, excuse me, Abraham Lincoln, and then um, president after Lincoln's assassination. Johnson freed his slaves on August the 8th. Oh, wow, okay. And so, um, very quickly, August the 8th of 1863, okay? And so, uh, so people here in this region would celebrate August the 8th as the period of emancipation because Johnson freed his slaves and a lot of other individuals here in northeast Tennessee, southwest Virginia, started freeing their slaves around the same time. That became, for a lot of folks, Colored People's Day. Uh, June the 19th, 1865, the slaves in Galveston, Texas, mm-hmm. were still enslaved even though you know, uh, the Union had won the war, right? Yeah, it was like two years, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so, uh, so a period of time went by before uh, slaves in Galveston were set free. So, yeah, uh, so here in this region, August the 8th was the time that we knew about. Mm-hmm. And so when initially, when, when there was all the talk about making Juneteenth a federal holiday, my first reaction was I had some misgivings because um, – Appalachian folk, Northeast Tennessee folk, right. you know, we would recognize August the 8th. Gotcha. And, uh, but I didn't even know about that one. Yeah. yeah. I have learned it today. Yeah. So there yeah. you go. Well, my father was born in 1930, and he, he was full of stories. The last, um, well, 13 years of my life, I knew him, and so I still remember some of those stories that he would tell about every year folks would go down to Washington College and there must have been some land that they were able to uh, access, and they, there would be Colored People's Day. And that was the day, and, and it seemed like there was an understanding. They got that day off, mm-hmm. and so no one had to work, and people, they would have this big, huge spread, and they, you know, all kinds of food and music and just enjoying time together. And so, uh, so that was, again, quote-unquote, Colored People's Day. And so, uh, so I had my misgivings, but, uh, but I had to think, I think a little bit broadly, broader, um, because there are people in certain urban areas of the country that didn't have the experience that maybe we have here in Appalachia. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, so there is some significance to Juneteenth, but we celebrated August the eighth growing up. Okay, I learned something new. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, so racism and the impacts of slavery on the mental health of Black Americans has been an ongoing issue and created what we hear now as generational trauma. So as candid as I can be, this is not something that I can like personally relate to. I've tried to say that over and over again, just because I'm like, I don't even have a clue. I mean, I've had, I had trauma, but that's different. You know, I just want to understand and I want to learn. I'm very curious. So will you help us better connect with this by, you know, sharing how you have personally been affected by racial trauma? I, I think Jennifer and Josh, for me, the racial trauma may be in the context of, am I good enough and do I measure up? Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, growing up for me in Washington County, Tennessee schools, I had some wonderful teachers. I had some wonderful teachers. Patsy Lewis, Boyd Lewis uh, were my teachers. Of Patsy was my fourth grade teacher. Boyd was my government teacher in high school. <laughs> they took me under their wing, and we're still friends to this day. We talk about every other month or so on the phone. Uh, they took me under their wing, um, exposed me to a lot of opportunities. I'm forever grateful to them. And they're just two out of a whole group of gotcha. uh, individuals. But you're one black person literally in, in an entire group of white individuals. That's mm-hmm. going to be tough. So you deal with sometimes the, uh, the, the mental weight of, am I black enough? And then in white circles, am I too black? Yeah. And so then there can be a dynamic when you're in white circles where people don't see you, and then sometimes in people's uh, desire to understand the conversation of race, they'll say to you, you know, when I see you, I don't see color. Well, I'm living in a world where people do see my color. Mm -hmm. I do want to know about that because I feel like sometimes I've said that before and I thought that was a kind thing to say, but I'm learning it's not. Well, it, so, so. Unkind, but just dismissive. 
So you have to, so it's important for us. I think you said earlier, it's important for us to listen. Yeah. And listening is a two way street. So I have to know my friend and I have to know the person who's making the statement. When, when a white person says to me, you know, Adam, when I see you, I don't see color. Many of the people who say that to me are people that I know would give me the shirt off their back. They're being very kind. Now, the statement is tone deaf, mm-hmm. okay? I mean, let's, 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 let's give the full yeah. objective if view. If you really want to know me, you got to know every part, you know? So, so the, statement, the statement is not, um, an, is, is, by today's standards, it's not an appropriate statement to make. But the people who are making the statement to me are friends. Got it. And so I've got to be mindful as to who, where they are and where they're coming from. I wouldn't bite a person's head off, you know, if, uh, and again, I'm, I'm speaking in an Appalachian context. Here it is, summertime, garden is, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, coming, coming about, um, ready to harvest some things. You knock on my back door, you got a bag of corn and green beans, you know, getting ready for a good meal coming up here soon. Right, right, right. And uh, by uh, Northeast Tennessee Southern Standards. That is a gesture of kindness. And so that person from the bottom of their heart is just doing something right. They're doing what they feel is right. And so when they make that statement, when I see you, I don't see color. To the person of color, the way it registers is that, well, what you're saying is that you don't see me because I do have a color. Right. But And it has lived with me my whole life. It has lived with me my whole life. Yes, ma'am. But then I have to kind of open myself. What is the person trying to tell me? Yeah. And in this case, the person is trying to tell me that they don't see this issue of race and racism, they, that they don't want to get bogged down into all the, the trappings of race and racism. They don't, see, they don't see me as inferior to them. They see me as somebody. That's what the person's trying to say. Yeah. But you're. But the. But again, that statement has been manipulated over the years. It's been uh, sometimes um, used in such a way as a dismissive. So when someone, when when I see you, I don't see color. Well, sometimes that's to been like the blanket statement. Right. You know. What would so, you rather somebody say? So um, uh, uh, I, the way you just said some things a couple of seconds ago really resonate with me you want to listen you want to grow you're curious Mm -hmm. you have questions you see me as a human being so adam i see you as a human being adam i see you as a man adam i see you as a child of god yeah when i see you i just see another human being made in god's image yeah those are statements that i think best showcase that sense of unity and um, commonality more so than saying when I see you I don't see color because again I do need you to see me and I do need you to to recognize my history my character my sense of of pride again this idea that uh, throughout all of the pain that I could really hold on to and harbor and be bitter Mm -hmm. and lash out I mean yeah instead (laughs) I choose I choose to be optimistic, so I so I do need you to see me, but at the same time, I know I, I got to know where you're coming from. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, our region has <clears throat> came a long way, a really long way. So, do you see the cultural change within our communities because of resources like Langston Center? I do. I do. You know, 2013 we started a project in Jonesboro with the old Booker T. Washington School. Uh-huh. 2013, we took the old Booker T. Washington School, which was like a, a K-6, K-7 school, and repurposed it and made it the McKinney Center for Cultural Arts. Okay, yeah. And so um, so the McKinney's, uh, very well known in Jonesboro. Ernest McKinney, the first African-American alderman in Jonesboro, elected the same night Dr. King was assassinated, April the 4th, 1968. Marion McKinney still alive, about 93, 94 years old. And uh, Miss Marion uh, still just as mentally sharp and, and agile as they come. Kevin McKinney, uh, the first black mayor of Jonesboro. 
And so uh, we took a building that was built to divide and repurposed it for community. Mm-hmm. I love that. And it's, it's, it's important. And yeah. this is something, Josh and Jennifer, that we really tried to convey, whether it was Jonesboro and the, and, and the Booker T School, if it was the old um, Douglas School in Kingsport, which mm-hmm. is now the V.O. Dobbins Center, Bristol took the Slater High School and it's now the Slater Community Center. Now Johnson City took the, the old Langston High School and made it the Langston Center. You can take these buildings, again, that were built for a divisive purpose and use them in a positive, proactive way. There are positive ways we can deal with the issues of race if we're just intentional to do it. Too many times we click at remote control and we go to a TV channel Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we see what's going on in Chicago or what's going on in San Francisco or what's going on in New York City we feel like, oh, my gosh, that's going to come here. And we use that to buttress our our notions. But there's a positive, proactive way we can deal with these issues if we're just willing to sit down and reason together. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just so. kind of makes me think, okay, but we're not those places. We're who we are as a community. So there let's be go. who we are. There you and go. And not worry about what New York's doing. There you go. Mm-hmm. So going back to your point, I've seen a huge evolution in our community, when we're able to build trust, when we're able to, uh, and it, and that takes time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something I think that today's generation is very frustrated with because it's 2022 and there's still injustice, there's still problems. And so now I'm an old man and I think about when I first got started 20 years ago, I was the, I was the young whippersnapper coming in. But the, uh, but the people in my life at that time, Betty Goa, Betty Hill Goa and Ann McConnell and um, Ralph Davis. There was a few African-American leaders who taught me, Dr. C.H. Charlton, they taught me about the worth of it's going to take time. You've Mm -hmm. got to build trust. And when you build trust, uh, you you now have a seat at the table. Now, there's going to be a problem now if everybody's having steak and baked potatoes and you're still having a bologna sandwich. You need to be at the table. You hear me? Yeah. So now that we're at the table... You know, I wanna I wanna have what everybody else is having. I deserve to have what everybody right. else is having, but uh, but you've got to build trust to get to the table. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I think that's endearing, yeah. but I'm gonna say that it breaks my heart that that even has to be said. Well, uh, so so <laughs> so I guess like you shouldn't have to build trust when you didn't do anything. So you know what I mean? Jennifer, it's like that. Just it hurts. It hurts my heart. It hurts my heart. It does. So. Today's generation, that's that's what they're saying. And you have to hear their you, you hear their hearts cry. Uh, you know that people are very frustrated. That's where the conversation of equity and equality comes yeah. in to be because yeah. today's leadership, a new vanguard of leadership, they are making it abundantly plain that the issues today, data shows the disparity. Data yeah. shows the problem. And so the data if you believe in the facts, the data speaks for itself. So what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Now, again, I had people in my life who would take me off in a corner somewhere and they would pour wisdom into me. And so as I hear them, I feel uh, I feel like that I have to use my platform. I'm trying to encourage them about the fact that, um, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, you know. And I can remember... I can remember graduating college, and the first job that I had uh, was a part-time job. At that time, $10,000 a year. Felt like a failure. Had just graduated Carson Newman. Felt like a failure. And um, all my friends, a good number of my friends, had moved to Charlotte and Atlanta. Their jobs, starting out 35, 40, which to me was like extreme wealth. And here I am, part-time, $10,000 a year. And uh, I remember going to my mom and and my mother looking at me, and she said, and she called me Ed. She said, Ed, she said, well, you know, my first job was 50 cents an hour cleaning houses. Mm-hmm. And she said, you are making more money than your daddy made by the time he was probably mid-career in the middle part of his life. She said, so from where we're coming from, 
We're there very proud of you. There it is. And so, so you know, you think about that. I mean, it changed my whole thought about that. So, so, so I just say, I hear, I hear what you're saying, Jennifer. The the realities of where we are today. There is this sentiment about, well, why do we have to do it this way? I didn't write the rules. <laughs> I just know, I just know that there is a way that we can do it if um, if we can um, again build trust. Get to know each other. Have conversations like this. Have conversations yes. like this and find that common ground. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are some important ways our listeners can make a positive difference around diversity and cultural understanding today? Just what we're doing. Having the conversations. Being willing to have the conversations. Being, again, building trust. I can't emphasize that enough. Some people... And again, I, if we can, just think about this in the context of civility, okay? Think about this in the context of civility. So right now in our society, we're more polarized today than we've ever been, mm-hmm. uh, probably as a society. The, the only other time that I can see in American history where the polarization was so great is the years leading up to the Civil War. So it's great polarization right now. Some people will not feel comfortable talking to you, A, if they don't trust you, be if they feel like they're going to be preached at. Yes, that's true. That's you hear true. me? Yes. So there's a need sometimes to listen. Yeah. And listening is a skill that you have got to hone in on every day. Some people, and again, I mean, what you're talking about, I mean, uh, the, who you represent as Frontier Health, the need to listen. I don't need to tell you all this. But the need to listen, people, sometimes people have got to get things off their chest. And somebody's got to have, in this case of of this topic, uh, someone's got to have the M-E-T-T-L-E, the metal, to deal with it. Now, sadly, the issue is so personal and so real that not every African-American could handle maybe a white friend who might be conservative, who might have certain views on certain topics, that African-American person just cannot handle maybe the conservative view. Correct. I so, understand that. You hear me? Yeah. So, so it's so personal. It's so real that, again, the black person has a lived experience, and the, the white individual is, is, is explaining what they believe to be the case. So we have to be willing uh, at some point to listen to each other. And so I've made it kind of a hallmark of my career and my life to – Reach out particularly to my friends who are maybe right of the political spectrum, and I want to understand you. I think that's great. So, you know, I would hope that they would reciprocate, you know. I believe there are some positive examples in my life of people who have. And of course, George Floyd brought a lot of that to bear where we had a lot of honest conversations, a lot of honest conversations, and then also I think a lot of bridge building. As a result, my biggest thing was like, you know, people have black Americans have the right to be really angry. They really do. So getting frustrated, like, why are they so angry? I'm like, you have no idea how to even put that into perspective. So don't try. So let people feel their feelings. And then I would love to see like, instead of just being mad, being angry and it being on social media, because, you know, the bigger the spotlight, the more people talk about it. They're going to put the spotlight on what sells in media news and all that. I would love to see us have more interesting, positive, you know, intricate conversations because, I mean, I would love to know more, you know, about, you know, black history because I could use some of that positivity. I mean, what a great message. All of that, everything you've learned, people have poured into you could help a lot of different people. I'm so grateful that it, that it helped you. I'm so grateful that it turned you into, you know, this great person that's helping our community and reaching out and such a servant leader. I mean, I think what you do is phenomenal, but I want to know more about it. But I also think there's a part where, you know, I want to be able to bridge that and say, I want to be able to be someone's really close friend too, you know, and how do you do that? And I think that people are all over the world have done it, but I'm saying here in our culture, in our Appalachia, where it's a little behind, unfortunately, I really want to figure out how do we talk about you know, race and trauma and all of that, and then get an understanding and then go, okay, not I don't have to get it, but I listened and I heard you. You are heard. And then now we can say, okay, now I can get to know you. Do you know what I mean? I do. Okay. I do. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I'm sorry. I was like, I really hope this makes sense because that's kind of where I've always been. 
And yeah. I'm, I don't want to feel like I'm very, I always kind of approach um, things where I feel like I may be offensive. I'm always so nervous I'm going to be offensive. So there's that for me. You know, as a white woman, I'm like, I really want to ask you questions. I'm super curious. But what if I say something that's going to really offend you? So how can our listeners start asking questions and start having those conversations without feeling like they're just going to step on a landmine? So again, I go back to the point of building trust with somebody. People. What is your definition of building trust? Because it may be different for you than it is for me. So. Um, or Josh. So, okay. So. There's one thing, let's just, I'll just say Josh and myself, two fellas, we uh, meet each other, we become friends, right? It's going to be one thing if the only time I see Josh is, um, let's say, uh, maybe at the grocery store. Only time I see Josh is maybe when we go to, you know, get gas. Now, I, I, I kind of know him, mm-hmm. you know, we we talk, we laugh a little bit, you know, uh, you know, uh, tell a joke, whatever. Maybe we even work together. Maybe, maybe you know, I work here at Frontier Health, and but really and truly, uh, we're more acquaintances. We say that we're friends, but we're honestly acquaintances. I don't know anything about Josh and his wife. I don't know anything about Josh and his family. I I've never been invited to dinner. Um, he's never come to my church. I've never been invited to his church. You've never invited me over when you had friends and, you know, you got the, you know, uh, the barbecue, the, barbecue, mm-hmm. the bonfire, whatever the case might be. You know, you never thought about inviting me. And and this right here is where I guess it gets a little, uh, going back to, to, to your, your question, how do we build trust? This is where it gets kind of sad in a way because some people, and, and they'll tell you the way they phrase it, I didn't think about it. And so I didn't think about it. And people are just being honest with you. They're just being genuinely honest. I didn't think about it. It's kind of like uh, the, the, the kid in high school who wants to talk to the girl, and uh, but she's, she, she's pretty. I'm going to get rejected. At yeah. some point, you got to just do it. Feel the fear and do it anyway. And do right? it. Yeah. You do it. Yeah, do it. Have those hard conversations. Yeah. Be yeah. willing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like that. And so it's it can be very... It can be very transformative when um, I remember white individuals, and I hope I never forget a lady, uh, Grace Spurrell. Grace and Don Spurrell lived in Johnson City. Miss Grace has passed on now, but uh, if you know um, Steve Darden, Steve Darden's wife, yes. Ann Darden, she, Ann Darden, and of course Don Spurrell, um, brother and sister. But Miss Grace, beautiful, beautiful human being. And um, I remember. I got an invitation one time to her house, and what I thought was going to be a 45-minute meeting, we, we both were involved in a particular uh, committee. The meeting was at her house, so I thought it would be a 45-minute meeting, an hour at the most. It turned out to be a three-and-a-half-hour time at her house. Uh, she had hors d'oeuvres and, and refreshments. It was a Friday afternoon, and there were people in the room that I knew well, and it was just a wonderful conversation, and I felt welcomed. I can't tell you, and I still, and when I see Ann, I, I remind her about her mother and what that meant to me as a 20-something-year-old black man. I remember driving through what I'll call the Gump, the, the Gump mm-hmm. edition. Yeah. Um, and for me, there was a fear in the back of my mind because I didn't know anybody in the Gump. <laughs> and so there was a fear that, you know, what, what would happen if I get pulled over here? Right. Um, um, I don't know anybody in the gum either, so <laughs> not the same thing, I know, but yeah. I thought I'd make you laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and for those, I guess, who are listening, the Gump Edition is it's a very, you know, beautiful neighborhood yes. section of Johnson City. I've always loved it. Yes, it's yes. Beautiful. But, I mean, just a, a, a beautiful afternoon. But, again, that was eye-opening to me. And I'm just saying, you know, Find find the confidence to go to people and maybe sometimes uh, involve yourself maybe in their environments. That's what I mean when I say build trust. Okay. Involve yourself in their environments. So maybe maybe you will feel uncomfortable. Maybe you are the only white person in the room with some other black people, but you're going to build trust. And eventually, when you have an activity, they will feel comfortable maybe coming to your house or interacting with you and doing different things. But that's how we have to build trust. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll say this and I'll hush. There have been a few examples in my life of where 
I would go to a chamber of commerce meeting. This mm-hmm. is right when I first graduated college. I'm the only black person in the room. My father used to say it this way. It's like looking at a fly in buttermilk. Okay. And so, so, you know, you tend to feel a certain way. And I hope I never forget a gentleman by the name of Phil Carragher. Phil Carragher, a member of the Washington County Commission, banker here in Johnson City. Phil Carragher poured wisdom into me, made me feel welcomed. And so I built my confidence over the years so that now when I go to a, a meeting and I'm the only black person in the room, I don't feel that way that I felt before. There were some people who welcomed me, changed everything, and again, built that sense of trust. So I just, I just encourage my white friends, if you want to build relationships with the black community, you may have to uh, be the only one to build that sense of trust and uh, to find that uh, common ground and to build a relationship. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. All right. One last question. If you could step into our shoes on this podcast, what would you have asked yourself that we didn't? Uh, a lot of the, your questions were great. I, I wish we had more time to, to talk about the trauma and the effects on black people uh, in particular. I guess I would have maybe, I guess I would have asked Dixon questions about uh, maybe such things as um, colorism. How right. does that How does that impact the mind? There are some issues that black people are dealing with that... Um, that I think that maybe larger audiences don't even begin to think about. So, for example, skin color is a very real issue, and I would call that a mental health issue. It's a very real issue in black communities. It's a real issue in communities of color. I'm going to be ignorant and try to get this. So is this does this have something to do with, like, whether someone is lighter or darker skinned? Is there that, you go. Okay. Yeah, and so the so the 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 fifty cent word is colorism. Okay, yeah, yeah. I didn't, I've never heard of that. Before. That's it. You told and, me two new things: August eighth and colorism. Yes, thank you. Yes, so um, so I I don't know if we have time, but um, go uh, ahead. Colorism. So this there would be a period of time in the period of slavery. So sixteen nineteen, first twenty Africans land on the continent, up to about the nineteen sixties. So if you can really get that in your mind, sixteen nineteen to about the nineteen sixties. There would be this standard of uh, uh, colorism uh, where lighter-skinned individuals uh, would have preference, prominence. And then we get into a whole conversation about slavery and then the whole idea of why, why does slavery build and develop on, with, within the United States. And uh, you have to understand there was an economic motive for slavery, right? You need free labor. Uh, Native Americans are not going to work because Native Americans know the land. Colonists don't know the land. You need free labor and you want optimum profits to go back to the mother country. So the colonists um, uh, begin to invest in West African slaves, or West Africans, and then, of course, make them slaves. And then over time, uh, slavery is going to, and I'm I'm giving you the the, the rushed version, slavery will uh, uh, be really codified in law. As a result of that, uh, you've got to really think through how do you distinguish between those who are enslaved and then those who are free. And color becomes the easiest way to do that. The West African slaves are going to be dark, black individuals. The Europeans are white individuals. Color is going to be the best way to distinguish and so then there's this weird dynamic that happens that uh, you may have a white slave master who has an affair with his black slave. Right. And then now there are children who come about. And so now you've got this dynamic going on. So you begin to see now where slavery is codified in law, and then you begin to see uh, where there is the us and them dynamic. Over time, uh, you will see people who are black people who are trying to think through how to make it in American society. One of the things that uh, they will do is, quote-unquote, pass. So the whole dynamic of passing is a kind of an outgrowth of colorism. And so you have individuals that might be fairer-skinned, uh, 
uh, uh, Eurocentric features, and they could pass for white. And that dynamic will evolve throughout the course of American history. Um, um, there's just a variety of different movies and books and things that I recently could, watched one. It was interesting. I just thought, wow, yeah. seriously? Yeah. yeah. How awful yeah. for someone to feel like they have to, to do something completely not them. Yeah. And it's from both sides. Yes. That's, yes. that's so hard. Yes. So you think about that from a mental health perspective. Uh, that can be, so that would be a question I would ask myself is the, the role of colorism in mental health. And then, too, the fact that, again, it's meant to encourage folks. If you, if you talk to Adam, and as you, all, as you both have, and Adam says, well, you know, there's a way that we can make lemonade out of lemons. And then Jennifer says, well, you know, it hurts your feelings to think that, uh, you know, that I even have to think in that context. You know, I, I think I would somehow maybe push back a little bit to say, well, you know, in a mental health context, you know, is, is Adam, am, am I somehow being, I don't know, um, I don't know the proper mental health terminology, but am, don't I, have su- to. Go ahead. But am I suppressing my feelings? Am I, am I in some way denying myself the right to get angry? Because, some, you know, sometimes, yeah. in, um, sometimes in American life, if a black man gets angry, the angry black man, that's a stereotype, uh, and so that can be a very divisive dynamic. And so uh, from a mental health standpoint, when you think about hypertension is much higher in African-American communities. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got situations where infant mortality in black communities is uh, higher. Black women dying after childbirth. Uh, you know, uh, so uh, uh, much higher. Uh, you know, you think about the fact of diabetes and stroke being higher. Yeah. So sometimes, you th- you know, the, the whole idea of a release, Yeah. you know, could that release be I in think food? that goes back to our last podcast. Really, and really. really and truly about how, I mean, Dr. Campbell said every, people have mental health. It's either in really good shape or it's in really bad shape or it's somewhere in the middle. But it's, it absolutely 100% affects all of our physical body and it's all conjoined together. And the fact that we separate it is one of the biggest issues. So I can only imagine the mental health issues that um, are within the black community just from the trauma that they, you know, racial trauma and all the different aspects and the not being able to speak out and having to watch yourself. Oh, my goodness. I cannot imagine just the level of, you know, you guys probably really need to talk. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of needing to talk about things, you know, getting it out. That would help a lot maybe just for people to just sit and listen you know, let me just give you just a again just a real full 360 perspective of what we're talking about. A gentleman by the name of Louis Farrakhan. I don't mm-hmm. know if you okay. So I do know that okay. So um, many would cite him as a demagogue. Many would cite him as a radical. Many would cite him as a militant. But I want you to think about something. This man, when he speaks to crowds across the country, and of course right now he's in his mid to late 80s. I, I've noticed he, he hasn't been as active as he once was in the 80s and 90s. Right. But uh, when he speaks to crowds and he talks about the fact of knowing your confidence, now again, the person I just described to you, again, has some labels, but he's talking about knowing your confidence, knowing your sense of self, and I'm not afraid of anybody, and the confidence that I have uh, the confidence that I have is the same confidence that you should have. And to think that he has a detail wherever he goes that surrounds him, I, I just I just kind of want you to put that into perspective that uh, the individual who is talking about this sense of being free and being liberated is also an individual who speaks from a context of I just know who I am, and the reason that I know who I am is because I tell white people who they are. If you think about that, that is a very visceral, at least from Adam Dixon, that's a very visceral and a very negative approach to take. I just told you the way that I want to do business, the way I want to build bridges, 
And so uh, the way that I want to uh, work, the way I want to handle things. But I just, I just give that example of Farrakhan because, again, he's an individual who certainly says what's on his mind, mm-hmm. and he puts it out there. But it's within the context of uh, many would say it's in the context. It's not building unity, and it's not building harmony, and it's not building cohesion. And so I feel like that the better proposition is for us to build trust, ask questions, have a healthy dialogue, engage with one another, and then at the end of the day, build interracial community. I, I think like that's that. the better approach. I like the word grace, too. Yes. Like, hey, I, you know, I think everybody needs to give everybody grace. Yes. It's okay. I mean, you're going to stand there and ask questions that you're going to feel stupid about. Yes. And you're not going to know. I mean, I do it all the time. You know? Yes. I'm, even in every day of my life, I'm like, I have no I'm just going to walk up and pray that I don't totally humiliate and embarrass myself, but I'm going to ask because I would like to know. And I think that if we can handle those questions and um, be cognitive of the other person when we ask them, and the other person can give us grace and know that there's no that person is is trying, and and that we're going to have a conversation. And it may be hard, but we'll get there. I think that's I, important. I agree wholeheartedly. I agree wholeheartedly. Thank you so much for your time today, Mr. Dixon. We have really enjoyed this time with you. For our listeners, thank you for continuing to tune in. Our Impact Stigma Movement is all about raising public awareness regarding mental health stigma and then financially supporting targeted frontier health programs and services. We do call our community of givers impact makers. Their monthly gift is an easy way for them to afford to give back, and they know their gift continually goes to support vital frontier health mental health programs and services. The best part of being an impact maker, besides how giving makes us feel, is the special way we like to thank our impact makers. You do have to become a monthly impact maker to find out all the details, so just go to our website at FrontierHealthFoundation.org, then go to Impact Stigma Movement tab, click it, then look for Become an Impact Maker. There you can sign up to become a new monthly donor, and that's that's it. You're in. I personally give $20 a month, so we don't really care what level of giving you're giving. We, we appreciate every single bit. So you can give $5 a month. You can give all the way up to $100 a month. Either way, we're thrilled. We designed the Impact Maker monthly community to allow anyone to make an impact. Also, don't forget to go find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music. We're pretty much everywhere. Yeah, we are. You can subscribe, leave reviews, all the good stuff. Remember to do that because the more you guys do that, the, the bigger we get, the more impact we make. That's so right. The more of you guys we have, the more listeners we have. I think we're almost to 2,000 listeners right now. I checked. Yeah, it's good. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and it's free. All you got to do is like subscribe yeah free we thank you guys yeah keep listening and don't forget to go make an impact stigma can make mental health problems worse and even stop a person from getting the help they need untreated mental illness places an enormous economic and emotional burden on our communities economic burden alone is in the billions and that directly affects all of us we all play a crucial role in creating a mentally healthy community one that is inclusive rejects discrimination and supports recovery. For us at Impact Stigma, this is way more than just a podcast. It is about igniting our communities, sharing our stories, and working together with listeners like you. We invite you to find out more about Impact Stigma on our website at impactstigma.com. One way you can make an impact right now is by sharing our podcast with your friends and family because you never know when something we talk about might be the reason someone you love asks for help. Mental illness is not a personal failure. We can't do this without you. So if you feel inspired to get involved, first, subscribe to this podcast. Then go visit our website at impactstigma.com. Watch the video and read about how you can become an impact maker. Thank you for listening to Impact Stigma. You're so glad you chose us. We want to thank our guests again for sharing your impactful story and doing your part to Impact Stigma. Join us next time as we enjoy some laughs and hear impactful stories. Until then, this work needs you. So go be an impact maker. Thank you and be blessed.